Humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. When I commit to doing things, I am saying I can do that. And whenever I overcommit, I have this belief of myself that I can do something and I end up not being able to deliver. And so what's happening there is I'm perceiving myself to be bigger than what I actually am. So when I assess my capacity, my ability, I'm looking at myself as quote unquote Superman that can do all these things. And I look awesome in the making of the commitments and I look awful in the delivery of commitments. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, we're jumping into part two of the six enemies of productivity. These are the things that get in the way of leaders producing results In the first episode, Kyle and I talked about busyness, number one, distraction, number two, and and friction, number three. Kyle, it's good to have you here again. Uh, For those that are just now listening in, Kyle is one of our one-on-one coaches here at Path for Growth, and he's also someone that ran a rapidly growing and scaling business previously, and he was a customer of Path for Growth before he became a coach. Kyle, before we jump into the final three, I'd love for you to just hit home on one takeaway that you hope people got out of the first episode or one thing you just want to make sure the leaders who are listening to this really hear out of that first session uh, that we recorded last time. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me about looking at this conversation and the last one is often we look at tips and trades and tactics to be more productive. And I think it's really helpful to actually look at the things that are preventing us from being productive and be really curious about those things of like, what is actually holding me back instead of reading the next book on how to like optimize something else. And so I just hope you look at that. And really the the takeaway is like, be curious and, and ask yourself questions for some of the things we're going to talk about today, how to have aim and what am I actually optimizing for? That man, that's so good, and and I think so necessary to highlight is let's just take a practical example like the one we talked about last time of distraction, right? This still happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you as well, right? Where I'll look up and I say, "Man, I just said that I was going to hop on LinkedIn and post one thing, and now I've been on here for ten minutes, right?" I'm personally not a one hour scroller. That's not my style, right? But I can easily go on for 10 minutes multiple times a day. And you look back, I'm like, holy cow, what have I done, right? In that moment where we say, okay, I've now spent 10 minutes on something that was meant to be two minutes. The way you respond is so crucial. And, And there's two possible responses that I feel like you and I get a front row seat to. And what we get to do with one on one coaching with people is Kyle said one possible response, you can be curious or you can be critical, right? And Mm. and critical is our natural response as leaders is we say, 
dadgummit, I shouldn't be doing that. I have to be doing mm. better. This is just ridiculous. I'm just a schmuck. I can't even do what I said I was going to do. And then it's like, man, now that mistake isn't just beating you for 10 minutes. Now it's beating you for a full hour because you're beating yourself up. And also you're feeding yourself all these identity-based lies that just aren't helpful. Mm. And, and so I'd love for you to offer the counter approach what does it look like for someone in that situation to respond with curiosity instead of criticism? Yeah, man, this goes back to probably the first episode when we talked about why is it even worth talking about productivity? And really so much it comes back to like, we want to be effective and efficient in the stewardship of what God has given us. And that's through our business, through our life, through our body, through the people that we serve and the people we serve with. And so like when we have that sort of approach of like, I'm here to make an impact, not for, for my name's sake or for my company's sake, but for the glory and exaltation of Jesus, then all of a sudden it's like, it's not about me. And I can have much more grace on myself because I've received grace to then say like, I am broken. I do have capacity. I do have limitations and I have failed. And there's grace here to be a little bit curious. I want to continuously improve. I am not grown and a perfect product now. And so finding that identity in not yourself, but in God, and then being able to say, I'm a work in progress. And for me to beat myself up here is only going to take me five steps backwards. But for me to be curious, I believe is actually going to drive me forward. Man, there's so many places we could go with that. I really love that you took it in that direction because I think that is at the core of what really helps solve for things like distraction and busyness. A principle that comes to mind for me, it's actually one that I've been working on content for for our upcoming uh, gathering of leaders in Asheville. It's just the idea that your experience of God or your experience with God is often a product of your concept of God. And yeah. what I find is that the people, myself included, when I opt for criticism of myself, right? When I say, oh, Alex, you can't do anything right. You are such a, you are just ADD. You're so distractible. Like you, you can't even do what you said you wanted to do. What the heck, Alex? Oftentimes that is reflective that my concept of God in that moment is that God is an angry task manager that is mm -hmm. wagging his finger at me saying, you're not doing everything I created you to do. And man, oh, that's so screwed up. That's such an improper, unbiblical concept of God, right? Like, and what corrects for it is when I remember like, man, the God of the universe, the creator and controller of all this is a heavenly father that loves me, knows what's best for me, and wants what's best for me and has already doled out the grace necessary for the mistakes that I will inevitably make along the way. It's like, golly, then I have just such a posture of not moving forward out of obligation, but moving forward out of overflow. And I, I guess, and I'll be interested to know if there's anything you have to say on this as well. I think that just connects to that overarching principle, just 
belief drives behavior. Belief drives behavior. And don't just focus on changing the behavior. Get to the core and be curious about what are the undergirding beliefs. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. That was awesome. That's great. <laughs> Very good. Believe well, it part, or not. There's, yeah, I don't know that whenever we talked about having part two of this conversation, we we anticipated that we'll just include a sermon at the beginning of it, and then yeah. we'll jump into the final three enemies. But, we haven't talked about anything yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly. right. I actually think that that really ties in to uh, yeah. enemy number four that we were going to focus on, because enemy number four is pride. This is one that, I mean, quite frankly, I've been really passionate about as an enemy of productivity lately, because it's one that I feel like I've had to wrestle with a lot lately. And specifically, it was probably about uh, seven or eight months ago now that I had to come to terms with it. You were at that strategic planning meeting, I believe, uh, that we had. I think you were there for our quarterly strategic planning meeting, where we always spend time in our quarterly full day strategic planning meeting as a, as a leadership team, kind of reflecting on the past quarter, looking ahead towards the, the next quarter, and really just offering candid, open feedback about our individual performance, the performance of the other leaders on the team. It's such a vibrant conversation. And in spending time reflecting on the previous quarter and looking ahead to the next quarter, I just came to terms with like, I am so radically overcommitted, it's not even funny. And I just found myself in this spot where it's like, things that I typically love doing I'm not currently enjoying, and it's not because I don't love them. It's because I'm doing them from a posture of emptiness, like my well has yeah. run dry. And it speaks a lot to the character of our leadership team, I think, that I was able to share that so candidly and know that they would be able to receive it. And honestly, I was not saying... I need to delegate a ton of stuff or I need you to take all these things off my plate. I was more sharing it as an apology of like, I am sorry. I have allowed myself to get to a posture where I'm overcommitted and overextended. And it was in kind of working through some of that, that one of the principles that I've started to learn is that overextension is pride on parade. And this is so convicting, but also so helpful because what is humility? Humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. When I commit to doing things, I am saying I can do that. And whenever I overcommit, I have this belief of myself that I can do something and I end up not being able to deliver. And so what's happening there is I'm perceiving myself to be bigger than what I actually am. So when I assess my capacity, my ability, I'm looking at myself as quote unquote Superman that can do all these things. And I look awesome in the making of the commitments and I look awful in the delivery of commitments. And so humility is one of those really interesting things because it's like really hard to self-evaluate, right? If I ask you like, how are you doing on humility? The minute you say, I'm the best at humility, you're like, oh gosh, you're really screwed, right? Like, this isn't going to go well. But so how do you, it is something that we need to attend to. And so what I started to do, it's not a perfect litmus test, but it is a helpful one is, how am I doing on humility? How often am I making commitments that I can't deliver on with a cheerful heart, with excellence and on time? 
And to the degree that I'm making commitments that I can't deliver on with a cheerful heart, with excellence and on time, I am operating in pride. I am perceiving myself to be bigger than I actually am, and I am way overextending myself. So that's my experience on that. And it's a little bit of a monologue on that, but it's been so helpful to realize there is no heroics in overextension. It, it is awful pride rooted in the fact that I'm the only one that can and should do all of this. And it's just toxic. Yeah. I actually don't have a whole lot to add to that other than the principle of like healthy growth is identity based. We're talking about identity a lot in this, but you hadn't, I was there to witness it. And I do think that that was a really powerful time for a business owner who's listening to this right now, who is overextended, who is busy, who may not have even the the outlet that you did to share that, but they feel themselves overextension is pride on parade. And maybe they even haven't even got there, but they know they're overextended. What are some of the questions that they can ask themselves to process through that? And then what are some of the actual steps that they can take out of that? And you're a perfect example. So you laid out a perfect example. So what was that process for you? Because some people may feel like, cool, Alex, but I have way too much going on. So it is an identity thing, and I don't know what to do about it. What would you say to that person? Well, maybe they would be able to resonate with this experience. One of the places where it came to the forefront was I got married, <laughs> and then I went on my honeymoon, and that all happened in the course of under two and a half weeks, right? It was, it was a, such a joyful time. It's unbelievable, right? And uh, I had the wherewithal to be like, everything is going off for this honeymoon, right? Like eight days, everything is off. My attention is entirely on Aspen, who's now my wife, and on the God who made this all possible. And Kauai, which is just one of the most absolutely absurd places I've ever been in my entire life. And it was interesting. The last day we were there, we were there for eight days, and I started to kind of re-enter into some of the like habit and routine things that I had been doing previously. Things like doing push-ups in the morning, things like going for a run and just listening to a podcast. And specifically the listening to the podcast run was interesting because prior to that, and maybe it was a little bit before that, um, but prior to the honeymoon, I would go on runs just here at my home. And I had gotten to this spot where I just, all I wanted to do was listen to music and I had no desire to listen to leadership podcasts. I had no desire to listen to stuff about business. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to learn anymore. Right. I, and I just kind of like had accepted, like, that's the way that it is now. Like I, this is my mm. job. And I just like, I guess I'm kind of burnt out on that stuff. And like, you know, and I'll listen to it because I need to, but like, I just don't feel the passion around that anymore. And man, whenever I came back from that honeymoon, I was like so excited to learn and so excited mm. to grow. And I just realized like, man, I had allowed myself to get on empty. And when you get on empty, the things that you love become chores. Like that's one of the indicators. And so to your question, I think, what are the things that you love, right? What are the things that you really love to do? 
And are you loving those things right now? Because if you're not loving those things right now, it's probably a sign of overextension where you've put your hands in way too many things and you need to right size. And that was really the the phrase that I had on my heart in the, I mean, in some ways in the recovery of that season is right sizing. We're going to come back to what, what we are and we're not going to try and be more than what we are, right? We're just going to be right sized and commit to what we can commit to. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The follow-up to that verse is really interesting. He says, let your yes be yes, let your mm-hmm. no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil, right? Like he's literally saying overextension, portraying yourself to be bigger than you actually are and then not delivering on what you say you can do. And that's not just like this casual thing where it's like, oh, shoot, I missed a deadline. That like comes from evil. And so we need to humble ourselves and then we need to course correct. Yeah. The couple things, I love that you went there because I did get to observe that in the leadership team. And I, I just to double down on that for people who are listening is like, what you did in that is, is you really did three things that I saw. One, you led from vulnerability. And so like, you didn't come into that saying, I have everything figured out. Actually, I'm, I'm struggling here. And I think that is a moment. I think that is something that people need to hear is like, we think we have to have everything together as a business owner or in front of our people. You did like you were vulnerable. That was number one. The second part was people crave ownership. And like, I think the biggest takeaway you had from that meeting that you kept talking about was like, you felt bad for saying I need help. But then Olivia and Zach were raising their hand at every single moment of like, where can I step in? Where can I help? And I'm seeing this with Kent right now. Like Kent could never give anything up and was holding everything because one, like, he built the thing and you, you're protective of it, but also like you feel like you don't want to overburden people. But then all of a sudden when you allow people to have ownership, they, they, like, they crave it. They step up to it. And so I saw that. So you led from vulnerability. People crave ownership. And the third one was like you came into that with intent on not just what you were against being overextended, but like you knew like, I need to get rid of these other things because it's become very clear to me where I do need to drive in. And that was connection and creativity. I remember it because it like really stuck out to me of like, you didn't just lead from vulnerability of I'm broken. You allowed people to come into it. You allowed people to step up and you said, this is where I'm running. And I think Mm -hmm. that gave everybody a whole lot of clarity on like, oh, we need Alex to do that. And so I just think for someone who's listening, who feels overextended, like that I think is a great game plan and a great model of leadership is leading from that vulnerability, allowing people to take ownership, but then not getting off of it saying, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is how I'm driving the business forward. And I just don't think your people are going to look at that and be like, Nah, does that perfectly fit in my role success statement or my job? No, they're going to be like, that's a leader worth following. Mm, Gosh, there's so much that I could hit on in that. But something that I think I'm realizing as you kind of reiterate that back to me is 
something just in reflection on my own experience, I think rings true. And I think it rings true for a lot of the customers that we work with as well. It's amazing how maybe even most extraordinary leadership starts with an apology. So like the extraordinary leaders are the ones that have this capacity to always grow, always improve, always get better at unleashing the best in others. And that starts with saying, what I was doing before wasn't that. Mm. And I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. I was holding myself back and therefore holding the team back. And that's on me. But here's what I'm doing to correct for that. And so that's just something that stands out is I think so often we think, that leadership is being Superman and saying, I've got this, let me grit my teeth and get us through this. And in reality, it, it's a different type of heroics. It's saying, I'm a man, I'm a woman, mm. and I've made a mistake. I've overextended myself. I'm sorry for that, but I want us to move forward in a better light. Yeah. That actually connects to the next enemy as well. It's one that you brought up. And it's an enemy of productivity that is exhaustion. Explain why this really shows up as an enemy that you think it would be worthwhile for leaders to pay attention to, Kyle. Yeah, this has been one. When I think about focus, because you need to have focus and intent in being productive. Like I said, I'm naturally probably distractible and not disciplined. But then when I line these things up, I pre-decide these things. And then I'm in a moment and I just feel a lack of focus more times than not that has way more to do with like other choices that have impacted that moment my sleep like the rhythm of that day and i've really had to do what olivia says is like tinker with my time a lot to like find these moments where i'm most productive and your your energy level i think goes up and down anyways throughout the day but then there's these other key indicators like sleep, like working out, like the food that you're eating. Like I think all of those things contribute. And I've just had to learn like when I'm sitting on these calls all day, I can't really do back-to-back calls. I need to like do a call where I can be focused and then I need to go walk or I need to get away or I need to exercise so that I can come back. If I tried to do this, then do desk time for an hour and a half, then do another call. I'm so exhausted by the end of that call. And so there's so many different elements of exhaustion and energy levels that I think contribute to us being productive or our lack of productivity. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, if we are going to get prescriptive with practices, these these are the ones that I, I feel like are I feel pretty confident in offering these as prescriptions because I think it's in alignment with how we are created. Do you have a consistent bedtime? Do you have a consistent wake-up time? And do you have one day a week that is not working at all and is dedicated to Sabbath rest focused on glorifying God? And If the answer to any of those questions is no, I would tell you as it relates to every enemy we've talked about, I I really deeply believe that's where you should start. Because I believe as a human being, you are created and you operate at your best whenever you have a consistent bedtime, whenever you have a consistent wake-up time, and whenever you have one day of 
rest that is truly devoted to God glorifying restoration and recreation. And I think it's a John Mark Comer line where it's like to do anything different than that is to run your hand against the grain of the universe. Mm. And when you rub your hand against the grain, you get splinters, right? Like it's going to happen. And so it's interesting how we can start trying to tip over dominoes down the line. And in reality, you just need to hit the first three dominoes. And the first three dominoes are consistent bedtime, consistent wake-up time, and day of Sabbath rest. Kyle, I, I would like to point it to you in that because I know, without a shadow of a doubt, there are situations that make that way harder. And one of those situations is like the minute kids enter the picture, right? That becomes very difficult. So I'd love to know, like, what has your experience been as a father of three young kids, young, very energetic kids for that matter, in terms of like trying to integrate those three disciplines specifically into your life? Yeah, those those three, I actually, of all the things that have to do with energy level, those are probably not the struggles, a consistent bedtime, a consistent wake up time and and a Sabbath. I think those are things that like you said, rubbing your hand against the grain, those have not always been true, but I have seen massive value in like, one, the humility of that, and then two, just the consistency of going to bed and waking up. My kids are good sleepers though. So <laughs> I, I, I know plenty of people who struggle with it because of the circumstance of kids. I think, though, the only thing that I would add to it where I do struggle is like what we were talking about before with like me showing up at home and like there are certain rhythms where it's like if I am trying to focus and be productive over a long extended time, my productivity goes down during that time. And then when I get to move to something else, like go home and be with the kids, I have nothing left. I like just nothing left. And so my, my rhythms integrate movement a lot into my day to try to keep my, that has been for me, something that's been really important to me being able to be on a call like this and recall principles and stay focused and be a good listener and ask good questions and be attentive because I have to change my environment a lot. And when I don't, I feel like totally drained uh, by the end of the day, which then does affect my sleep and my kids. Yeah. Well, I guess I have a question for you then on that then, because I feel like the most common challenge that I hear as it relates to especially one day of Sabbath a week is kids, right? And just activities and like, and like, how do you make that even feel restful, right? And things like that. How have you and Jess approached that uh, idea of Sabbath having pre kids? Yeah. So one of the beautiful things about our church community is we actually don't have church on Sundays. And so church at times feels like a very, it has for me in the past, like it's 
chaotic. You got to be on your P's and Q's. Your kids got to sit there and be quiet for the the, the church service. <laughs> you mean that and doesn't luckily, feel like re- worshipful rest all the time whenever you have three yeah. kids? And to clarify, yeah, your church does have church. It, they just do it on Wednesday, yes. right? <laughs> it's on Wednesday nights so that we get to do that chaos on Wednesdays. And then on Sundays, it is more relaxed. We go over to we have lot family here or we go somewhere else and we actually get to actually rest and celebrate. And that's really the focus at cease and celebrate is really the idea behind lot families in so many ways of like being able to do that together. And then we just try on that day as much as any other day, like to remove kind of technology from our lives and be a little bit more present and playful. I am a very regimented person and I think we get in a lot of ruts that I have to watch out for. And I try to be a little bit more creative in engaging with my kids specifically on those Sundays and just being outside and enjoying uh, one another together. Love it. Very cool. Let's jump to the sixth enemy of productivity is aimlessness. Um, This is actually related to a lot of content that we're going to be going over uh, in Asheville, North Carolina at our next experience. But then also, I've personally been spending a lot of time talking with customers within the Path for Growth coaching community about this topic of like, what is your vision for your life? And I think so often, like when we think of the topic of vision, especially in the circles that we get to run in, it's like we're talking to impact-driven leaders who own or run a business, when you ask them, like, what's your vision? They give you like this clear picture of what they want to do in their business. And it's really, really cool, right? Like it's amazing. And, And oftentimes, especially if they do have a clear picture of what they want to accomplish in their business, their business is productive, right? And I think that that's really good. We're, we're doing a whole series on the podcast related to vision because I think productivity is often a result of clear vision. But what's interesting is I often think as it relates to impact-driven leaders that their vision is too small mm. because when you ask them what's their vision, they only tell you about their business. And... When I'm asking what's your vision, your business is a part of your life, but your business is not your life. Your business is an asset. It's a blessing that God has given you, but God has also given you potentially a spouse. He's given you a family. He's given you a body and a brain. He's given you friendships. He's given you extended family. He's given you all these other blessings. And if the only blessing that he's given you is the blessing that is your business, your vision is too small and you may produce results in your business, but lack results in all these other places. Why? Because you lack a vision. And so the thing that I'd like to hit home on this, and then I'll I'll give it to you for anything you'd like to say on this topic of aimlessness of expand your vision, cultivate an image, right? Imagination. It's an image of what's possible for every area of your life, because without that, productivity is impossible. How can you possibly know what results you're trying to achieve if you don't have an idea of the destination that you're trying to move towards? So aimlessness is the enemy. The antidote to that enemy is to have a a whole life vision that you can be really engaged in 
and that makes life into an adventure instead of an obligation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I probably was a, a bit more tactical in my thought process. So I think we're hitting this from both directions, which I, which I love. You know, I'm a five on the Enneagram, so I only have so much capacity. Uh, I think about my energy level a lot. And, and so the more decisions I have to make in the moment, the more fatigued I get. And so part of even vision is like, man, if you don't have a vision, then everything in your day becomes a decision. And then you're constantly having to be aware of like, what's most important right now? Is that more important than this? And it's so easy to get distracted and to not be productive, not get what you wanted to get done, done. So, so there's one part of that. And then the other part of, uh, of the aimlessness of that is if you, if you don't decide what your time's going to be spent on, having an aim, everybody else will and everything else will. And so if you're struggling to be productive, it's like, have I actually decided pre-decided like what I want to accomplish or what I want to do. And if I haven't, well, then no wonder we're not as productive as we want to be. If I walk into today and say, what am I going to do? Let me look at my calendar and then just react. Then my whole day is going to be react. If I design my calendar, how to optimize my schedule and how to optimize my day and go into a day with intent, then that's a, then I can be proactive and not reactive. So yeah, having a bigger vision for your life and having clarity and like, what am I, what do I need to do today? Like, what is the most important thing I need to do today? If I don't decide, then someone will decide for you and that will be your business and your people. And it's probably not the most important thing you need to be focused on. Mm. Uh, you said productive in that answer. You said proactive in that answer. And the thing that just kept standing out to me as you were talking was just pro, right? Like this is what professionals do, right? And amateurs are owned by the enemies, right? Amateurs are owned by busyness, distraction, friction, pride, exhaustion, and aimlessness. Professionals have not perfected their fight against the enemies, right? We are imperfect people working with imperfect people in an imperfect world, right? And that is true until kingdom come, right? So so we haven't perfected our fight against the enemies. We haven't won the battle, but uh, we are committed to fighting and professionals are committed to practice. And so the question we really have to ask ourselves is, do I want to be an amateur or do I want to be a professional? Because productivity is a practice of professionals. Uh, Kyle, I'm so grateful for your time on this podcast and the previous conversation we had as well. Again, it's worth mentioning that Kyle is one of our one-on-one -on -one coaches. Kyle, I'd love for you just to give people a picture of what the process is that you walk people through in one-on-one -on -one coaching and then also like who actually succeeds with one-on-one -on -one coaching within the path for growth community share that with anyone that might be interested yeah i mean we work with impact driven leaders and so if you're an impact driven leader who wants to have impact in your life your leadership and your business then those are the people that succeed how we do that and what that looks like it's really like in this relationship I think our main role as coaches is to help 
create clarity in your life and your leadership in your business, like help you craft a vision of what we were just talking about, having aim for your life, your leadership and your business, getting clarity there, creating a path for where we are now to get there. So clarity, direction, and then accountability, like the two principles we talk about all the time, which are really a part of our first two fundamentals is if you want to put your business in order, start by putting yourself in order. And if you want to hold accountable, start by being held accountable. And so just having someone who has context into your life, knows your strengths, your weaknesses, and is walking alongside you to offer perspective, direction, and accountability, that's that's what we do. So yeah, if you're interested in that, I'd love to talk to you. Very cool. Well, we'll put the link in the show notes of this episode if you would like to schedule a conversation with Kyle just so he can hear more about your business and tell you if it would be a good fit. Uh, Kyle, thanks for your time, for your investment, and maybe more than all that, your example. You're such a blessing to work with and you're a blessing to call a friend. We'll talk soon.